My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Wendy Barreto and Laura McElhenney. Prison abolitionism is a political vision that aims to do away with prisons, policing, surveillance, and related mechanisms of social control, and to establish alternatives. It is, moreover, a vision of social transformation, not just getting rid of police and prisons, but creating a social order that does not depend on such inherently violent institutions. That said, it can also be a deeply practical politics, with prisoners themselves taking action to improve their conditions in material ways, and those outside acting in solidarity. And it can involve working to win small victories against the many different ways that carceral systems encroach on our communities through working to shift resources out of the system and into more socially constructive uses, resisting criminalization, blocking surveillance initiatives, and so on. The prison abolitionist group that is the focus of today's show, called Joint Effort, has been quietly doing its thing on the West Coast for nearly 40 years. It was originally founded as a subcommittee of the British Columbia Federation of Women in 1980. The details of its work have varied over those decades, but the core of it is much the same. Going into prisons in the lower mainland of BC to work with women on the inside, and organizing on the outside. The work on the inside largely consists of visiting and building community and doing workshops. Sometimes it is explicitly political and connected to community-based events on the outside, like making a banner for the annual march in the downtown east side of Vancouver for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Other times it is more about sharing an activity, sharing resources, sharing information, and just talking about life and reducing isolation. And it certainly involves listening to the women who are inside, who are among the most marginalized people in the country, and who have a unique vantage on how the prison system works, and on how the violence of systemic oppressions operate more broadly. On the outside, Joint Effort has done a lot of different kinds of things over the years. They act in support of prisoner-led campaigns, they engage in public education and other kinds of activities to stimulate critical conversation about criminalization, policing, and prisons, In particular, they try to draw the connections to how different groups of people are criminalized, the detention without charge of migrants to Canada, the long-standing racist over-policing of black and indigenous people, the targeting of sex workers and trans people, and so on. They participate each year in Prisoners' Justice Day, an annual event observed by prisoners and their allies across the country that traces its origins to organizing by prisoners in the 1970s. And one of their current goals is to set up a monthly potluck for women just coming out of prison as a way to offer connection and support. One of their main concerns in the last year or two, however, has been new rules by Correctional Services Canada that require that all people volunteering in prisons pass what is called a reliability status clearance. This includes a much more extensive and intrusive background check than was previously required, as well as a credit check. It's not clear why this new requirement has been instituted, but it is clear that the heightened surveillance it involves places major barriers in the way of people going into prisons to volunteer, particularly people who are already marginalized in various ways. 
The group has organized a letter-writing campaign to oppose it, and has been working to connect with groups across the country to broaden the opposition, and they've also been working with the BC Civil Liberties Association around the issue. Wendy Barato, originally from Montreal, is currently serving a life sentence for second-degree murder after defending herself against an attempted rape. Her full parole begins in January 2020. She was very active as a prisoner advocate while on the inside and faced extensive retaliation by authorities for that work, and on the outside she's gotten active in joint effort. Laura McElhenney is a longtime activist and organizer in a range of movements, and she's been part of joint effort for more than 20 years. I speak with Barato and McElhenney about the experiences that women in Canada have with prisons, and about the work of joint effort. My name is Joanne Wendy Barato. I'm currently serving a life sentence for second-degree murder 10 years. Exciting news yesterday, I got my full parole starting as of 9th of January. I started my incarceration life in 2010 at Joliet Institution, Quebec. Transferred to British Columbia in 2016, and the reason for that transfer is so I could actually get my parole because as an inmate advocate, I was retaliated against for helping myself uphold my rights and helping other women uphold theirs. It's a continuous battle trying to uphold your rights without any retaliatory consequences to it. I've been out for four years and I still have that struggle right now. I joined joint effort at my release in 2018. I met them in FVI. And that is the Fraser Valley Institution for Women. And I'll be sad to leave because I am going back to Montreal on January 9th. But hopefully we can do something good in Montreal too. I'm Laura McElhenney and I'm prison abolitionist and have been in joint effort coming up to 20 years now. There's no need for prisons, but there's justifications that the state uses. The community takes care of our members way better than the state does. Going in with joint effort into women's prisons, we do workshops of mutual interest. So we talk with the women about what we'd like to do. Sometimes it's a political or community-based event, like making a banner for the Memorial March in the downtown east side to remember and honor the women who've been murdered and missing, especially Indigenous women in the downtown east side and their families. And other times it'll just be card-making. Regardless, we get together, we talk about our lives, resources are shared, you know, information about what's happening in the prison and information about what's going on in the community is shared. And people, if they choose to, have a connection when they come out sometimes with the community and not just people who are employed to take care of the state's needs on that person. So that's, I think... Joint effort in a nutshell, we also are really active with Prison Justice Day and doing education, working with allies like IWW. And that is the Industrial Workers of the World, also known as the Wobblies. And other intersecting communities like sex workers, trans folks, racialized women, indigenous women who are more targeted and marginalized by the prison system. Before we talk more about joint effort, I'd be interested to hear from each of you a bit more about your own path to coming to a prison abolitionist perspective. I was always passionate about social justice and freedom and people having a voice. 
And there was politically in my family a lot of connection with uh, the struggle for breaking apartheid in South Africa, for the liberationist movements in Latin America, and other things. And so with prison abolition, just going into the system, you see how people's agency, people's community is taken entirely from them. They're treated and even in policy are talked about as ownership. Hearing stories from people and experiencing and trying to organize with people, you realize that the people who are in prison are most informed about how marginalization and how oppression works in the Canadian system, not just in prisons, but outside prisons, pervasive, systemic, everywhere. Those experiences and those analysis are really crucial to our understanding of our system as a whole community. Prison abolition is a means of connecting people and not only for the social justice of folks inside, which are the priority, but also so that people can be illuminated, people can have connection with those stories. I grew up on the south shore of Montreal in a middle-class, predominantly white city, just not really knowing what was happening around me. I was never really involved with the justice system, maybe a few speeding tickets, and no means very happy, 14 suicide attempts to my name, long bits of depression, sexual abuse at the age of five, date rapes a few times in my teenagehood or young adulthood. And at the age of 30, I got involved with drugs. And for 10 years after that, involved with drugs. But even then, I was not involved with the justice system until my, what they call the event, December 2007, which was an attempted rape attempted to defend myself and end up killing my assailant and was sentenced to a second degree murder, 10 years. I found out about the justice system, I would think during my trial, I grew up thinking that the law and everything that was there to protect me or protect my surroundings was a just law. Everything was there for a reason. Prisons were there for reasons. People that were in prison needed to be there and had to be there until I had to go through it myself. And I find out, I guess, this clarity of the, how the justice system works, how it is laws written by men, managed by men, imposed by men most of the time. Later on, as I got more involved and actually started listening to my surroundings, I found out that, yeah, court system, justice system is not just. And if you're Aboriginal, if you're a minority, if you're a woman, if you're not a white male protecting your pickup, basically justice is usually not served. After I got sentenced, I was sent to the Joliet Institution. This was my first view of what the prison system is. I was in a maximum security for two years. And during those two years, the rules were not really explained. I didn't even know that there was actually regulations that were protecting us. Nobody really informs you of that. When I left the maximum security in 2012, I ended up in the inmate committee position as president. And I started reading the commissioner's directive and actually started understanding that there are actually regulation protecting inmates and protecting CSC and, and employees also that are not being followed. After my trial and I had this sense of injustice like really deeply rooted in me, 
And the more I informed myself, the more I started digging, I realized that this justice system is broken. I saw women leave, come back, leave, come back, what we call the revolving door. I saw women in there that were, you know, accused of murder or involuntary manslaughter for literally protecting their lives against abusive husbands, abusive boyfriends, you know, trying to make their family survive. And as an inmate between those walls, the deck is stacked against you. The grieving process is not there to change anything. It's actually there to think you can do something about it, but you actually can't. Administration, PWs, your POs, everybody is retaliating against you grieving with you voicing your opinions, voicing your discontent. It's not a good environment. I'm actually surprised I walked out of there sane, but I did discover myself. A lot of people say that, you know, jail changed them. Jail didn't change me. Jail didn't make me better. I made myself better. If I counted on jail to help me out, I probably would have not walked out of there as sane, (laughs) if sane I am. Like I said before, I had to transfer out of Quebec to be able to continue my advocacy. But even then, the prison culture is still there. It doesn't matter East Coast, West Coast. I had to tone down my advocacy so I could actually leave. And then I had to be on day pro for two years. My two year ends January 9th. And I have struggled with the establishment basically for two years because I'm outspoken, because I speak my mind and because I am not scared to say when something is just not right. And I'm not going to stop. The system is broken. My way of helping as a prison abolitionist is I always say I need to spread the word. To be able to change something, we need society to get involved. And for society to get involved, they must understand what is happening. I think my role in here is to talk loud, I guess, and just inform societies, inform the population of what's happening. From what I understand, joint effort has been around for quite a long time. Tell me what you can about its founding and about some of that history. Joint effort came out of the BC Federation of Women and a subcommittee to address the needs of the women prisoners because that was recognized as the most marginalized folks at the time. You want to understand it in the context of the women's movement that was happening at the time. Our movements, you know, as mass movements, have largely been broken in this society. So it's really important to talk about that history and to let people know that women were organizing, women were saying, the system isn't taking care of this. We have to get together and, you know, sit around kitchen tables or find a community meeting space and figure out how we're going to rebuild those connections and share our community resources. And prison abolition was a really big thing here with Claire Colhane, and there was a really strong movement of support for that too. Uh, And Claire Colhane was a prominent feminist in British Columbia in the 70s and 80s, whose work significantly included prison abolitionism. People connected the issues of civil rights and the issues of Indigenous resurgence in culture and the call that went out to support the Indigenous brothers who were doing the fight for religious freedoms and smudge pipe ceremony and having traditional elders and drum. So with those movements, those were not just movements that were led and maintained on the outside that came into support. Those were movements that were also fueled by the inside. 
with Prisoner Justice Day, those groups work kind of all together. And joint effort was really popular in the late 80s and 90s and had bingo nights and, you know, different shows and rock against prisons with Prisoner Justice Day. And we did film nights. So there was a lot more presence in the community. So one of your core activities over the decades has been going into women's prisons in BC and working with the women inside. But rule changes have been making that harder to do, right? Prisoners are becoming more isolated, and CSE is making it a lot harder for the community to get into prisons and is demanding more information, not regular police screenings, but reliability status clearance checks where they do background checks on yourself and your roommates and your partners and family members, where they do credit checks and where they do fingerprinting. And it's most important that women inside get to connect with members of their community that they like identify with. And the most marginalized folks in the community understand that that's an information grab. That is not necessary information for community members just coming in supervised who have no access to people's personal information unless they choose to share a name or something and who are, you know, leaving escorted and searched. So that seems like another systemic thing to make prisoners more isolated, make the community more ignorant of what's going on inside and with connected issues like the National Immigration Framework, where people have no idea that children are being incarcerated and that they're building schools inside prisons for them and daycares. And that our refugee system has stopped being one of trying to welcome people and settle them in a community-based way, but one of complete and utter surveillance to the end of deportation. So we're struggling getting back inside since the new standards came out. So we're trying to organize on the community and help other folks who want to go inside get in and rebuild that more community-based support and education. And why is working with women inside such an important part of what joint effort does? Why it's important is because there's a women's community inside. Yes, there's the institution. Yes, there's isolation and things that break community all the time. But there is community inside. And I don't want to make it sound too good, but wherever people are gathered, wherever people can see their similarities, you're going to build a community. And Joint Effort brings the women's community from the outside into the women's community on the inside. So what's so important about going inside is reinforcing the fact that people do have community structure and that their community structure isn't just everybody that's there, that people actually care about what's happening to them, what their plans are, what's going on in their families. You know, whatever people want to share, knowing simple things like what happened in the news, what's going on in the community, which may not be in the news, and just connecting for like no other purpose than to make community connection, see people as a human being. Institutionalization can 
really break people down. You know, simply visiting and working on a mutual project and acknowledging people's leadership is so important for people's sanity and people's ability to free themselves of the system eventually. There's also a witnessing aspect. It's important for people to go inside and hear what's going on and write letters and help people with their grievances or, you know, recognize trends that are happening and connect the issues of criminalization of, you know, refugees and immigrants and criminalization of poor people and criminalization of trans and racialized folks and sex workers. If you look at the Harbour report, Uh, Published in 1996, the Arbour Report was the result of a commission of inquiry by a prominent judge, Louise Arbour, into conditions in the women's prison system in Canada. One of the major things that everybody could agree on is that women socialize differently and that to make reintegration into society easier and more complete was having community inside the carceral system. And with the advent of Harper and government, Uh, meaning Conservative Prime Minister Stephen Harper, who took office in 2006. They started taking community back out of jail and actually started changing the way the women's carceral system was into more male system. Joint effort here in BC, which we don't have out east, is an amazing organization for that. As an inmate, I met them when I was incarcerated. It was a breath of fresh air every time they came in. Being a long-term inmate, you do get institutionalized. It doesn't matter how much you don't want to, you do. Because, I mean, you don't leave jail. You're surrounded by fences. You've got the same guards around you 24-7. They don't really communicate with you. There's no conversation about anything other than what's happening in jail. Community comes in, we get to have a conversation about something other than what's happening within the four walls. We get information on the outside. We get support and know that we do have support from the outside. And again, like Laura said, the community-based like joint effort, we also get information from the inside. What's happening? What are the issues right now? Community is needed within the walls so we can feel normal. Yes, there is a community in jail, but you know what? I've never felt so alone as in the last eight years, surrounded by a whole bunch of women. I'm never alone, never alone almost every single day and feeling very alone. So with community, that loneliness is helped. And what does your work on the outside involve in terms of advocacy and lobbying and organizing and all of that? On the outside, we've been working for a couple of years now on trying to get the word out, connect with other community-based organizations in the country about the reliability status clearance, since that's affecting the surveillance of community volunteers and the ability for community volunteers to go inside and further isolating prisoners. We've done a stream of letter writing We're not expecting the system to go, oh, that's a rational thing. Yeah, we're just going to make that change. It's to find out where the moving ground is. And there doesn't seem to have been any moving ground. Policy and public relations that CSC does talk about community and the importance of community. They have just made it really, really hard for people and marginalized folks to connect inside. 
We also got the BC Civil Liberties to write and follow up on a letter. So that's an ongoing campaign and connecting with other groups across the country about what they're doing, trying to share information, trying to get people on board to protest this and write more letters. And then talking about connected issues with other groups who are social justice minded with, you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, a lot of well-meaning folks come into this protesting from an environmental issue. And we've heard things like they shouldn't be arresting us. They should be arresting the real criminals. And this is by no means across the board, but where that exists, trying to create conversation about critical analysis of criminalization as it applies to protesters, as it applies to poor, marginalized, and racialized folks, as it applies to refugees and new immigrants. And we've established a nice allyship with IWW out here. When they were having the national prison strike, which included Burnside out east, we had a shared information night, so we were able to talk about prison abolition and connect with the prisoner strike and all these things. And we're trying to set up a monthly potluck where folks who are coming out of incarceration can come and join, kind of like joint effort, to be able to have community, have some support, get access to resources, do something creative together of mutual interest. And yeah, break the institutionalization that happens on the outside, right? And for the last year, we've also been working on pensionary packages where women have no family, so they have no way of getting, you know, clothing, maybe a TV or whatever. And we came up with this process that women would actually be informed that we have this for them systematically as they are coming into jail. So they're not stuck with just institutional clothing or actually nothing for the duration of their sentence. We also do conferences. We did the carceral conferences. We do radio, some newspaper articles. I do a lot of talks at Kwantlen University in the criminology department about my personal experience, about what Joint Effort is doing, about the message that Joint Effort is putting out there. This is part of informing the public. I would just say to folks listening to make connection if you're at all inspired by any of this, to make connection with somebody or the community inside. The thing about the reliability status is not being uh, applied universally and uniformly across the board. So some places you are still able to go in with a CPIC. Uh, that's a basic criminal record check, which was the prior standard. So... Yeah, if anyone's putting on a play, you know, go inside. If you want to write a letter to the inmate committee to organize an event inside, try that. If you have any opportunity to go inside, you know, with an education project or anything, do it. It'll be super inspiring and you'll learn so much and build really amazing, amazing connections. You have been listening to my interview with Wendy Barito and Laura McElhenney of the prison abolitionist group Joint Effort. To learn more about the group, you can send an email to jointeffort at prisonjustice.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.